Tonight is literally a perfect night for you to be here, okay? There's two reasons. One, we're starting a brand new series, okay? So what we do here at H12 is we talk about a certain topic for a few weeks, and then when we run out of things to say, we move on to the next topic. And so um, these series are like a big, long conversation. And for you to be here at week one means you're here at the beginning of a conversation. And you guys know how awkward it is when you walk into the middle of a conversation and your friends were talking and you try to kind of understand what they were saying. That gets really awkward. So the good news for you is you're starting with us this brand new conversation we're getting ready to have. The other reason I'm excited, especially if you're new about tonight, is because the subject matter of what we're talking about may actually answer some questions that you've had for a long time, and maybe you've even asked some Christians these questions, and they didn't really have an answer to your questions. Well, tonight we might actually answer some of those questions, which I'm, I'm really excited about, okay? So the series that we're in, or the series that we're starting tonight is called In other words, in other words. And the whole point of this series is we're taking a look at some words that we use all the time. Now, if, you, um, if you've grown up in the South, you probably speak a language that you didn't know you spoke, okay? If you moved here recently from somewhere else, or maybe a year ago or five years ago, you moved here, you probably looked around at all of us Southerners that grew up here and said, y'all talk, and you don't even say y'all, you say you guys you guys is, right? You say, you guys talk different, okay? And what you didn't realize was that you have stumbled upon our language that we speak here in the South called redneck. Yeah, we speak, we speak a little redneck, okay? And so um, you guys may be familiar with a famous comedian that talks all the time about rednecks and about the language that they use. I found a minute-long clip that talks about the words that we use as rednecks here in the South. Check it out. Speaking of words, I, I do have a few new redneck words for you. Uh, first one, mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, a lot of people here this evening. It's kind of a gift. They come to me in my sleep, I write them down. Brand new one, aorta. They ought to cut that grass down by the ball field so the kids don't get hurt. <laughs> this is not the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> Initiate. My wife ate two hamburgers. Initiate a bag of potato chips. <laughs> and last but not least, which you did you? With you, did you? Oh, you didn't bring your truck with you, did you? <laughs> so there Sweet we go. Those are a few words, words that we use that are kind of weird. You know, mayonnaise, a lot of people here, right? It's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we say here in the South. So if you grew up in the South, then you probably speak maybe a little bit or maybe a lot of redneck, okay? Um, just like if you grew up in, like, Canada... Anyone from Canada? Anyone grow up in Canada? Maybe a little bit here and there. Maybe, maybe some of you. Okay, maybe not. Uh, Canada, by the way, is America's top hat. I don't know if you knew that or not. Anyways, okay, so if you grew up in Canada, some of y'all are just getting that. Okay, if you grew up in Canada, then you might say things like, what's that about, eh? Right? Yeah, super weird. They say A after everything. Okay, if you grew up in the South, you speak redneck. If you grew up in Canada, you say A after everything you say. And, and. If you grew up in the church, 
Or if you grew up around a bunch of Christian people, okay, or if your family is really religious and y'all went to church all the time, if you grew up around the church, then you probably speak what I like to call, I've kind of, this is this Christianese, Christianese. Christianese is this language that we as church people speak, but we don't even realize we speak it, right? It's like words that we've kind of made up or words that we've borrowed from maybe the Bible or maybe we borrowed from tradition. And we say them. And what's weird about these words is we only say them in the church. And then we go and we like live our normal life or we're not around Christians. We don't use those words. But when we're around Christians, we use these words all the time. So let me give you a few examples, okay? Here's an example of Christianese. Amen. 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 By the way, amen is the only word that is both a question and the answer to that question, right? Amen. Amen, right? It's like, amen, by the way, for those of you that are like new to church, amen is like when you get excited about something, okay? Amen is like when you really agree with something. You say, Amen. You say amen, okay? So maybe depending on the tradition that you grew up in going to church, maybe you had a preacher who was on stage, and if he said something that was like really good, you had the audacity, and this happens all the time in churches, you had the audacity to interrupt the speaker to say something, and what you said was amen, right? It's like you get excited about something, you're like, excuse me, hold up. Amen. Just wanted you to know I agree, right? It's like amen. Or if you've grown up in like, um, or, or you know, you have like a circle of people praying together, right? Like maybe a group of like eight or, you know, two or three are gathered, whatever, okay? So you have your group of people praying together, and then if someone's praying out loud, and they pray out loud, and it like, it's good, you know, it hits you in the feels a little bit, you're like, oh, then you interrupt them while they're praying, and you say, Amen. Because you like really agree with it. Okay, that's Christianese. Amen. Here's another example. Um, another example is blessed. Blessed. You know, by the way, you know you're talking to a church person. If you ask them how their day is going and they say, I'm blessed. Man, I'm blessed, right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, what's funny is that like most normal people say I'm doing good or things are okay, but churchy people, Christianese, we say, we say blessed. In fact, when something like when something really good happens, and maybe it's like really fortunate, really fortunate, um, non-church people will say this word, I, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it, but they'll say the word lucky. Oh my gosh, lucky, no, 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 luck is from the devil, thank you very much, I am blessed, right? That's what we church people think, we're like, you can't say lucky, lucky is bad, I instead am blessed. And so if you had like a really like awesome homecoming date, right, you took a picture of your date and then you put hashtag blessed, right? It's like, I don't know how it happened, but I got her or I got him or whatever, and so you say hashtag blessed, that's what we Christians say. Okay, here's the last one, last example, testimony. This one's a good one, okay? Testimony. Testimony is like Christianese for like your story or someone's history or where they come from, okay? So if you had a friend that just moved here, you know, from like North Carolina or something, you would go up to them and you'd say, you know, if you were a normal person, you'd say, hey, you know, tell me about yourself or hey, where you come from or, you know, what was life like in North Carolina? If you're a Christian or you speak Christianese, then you say, what's your testimony? Right? What's your testimony? Here's my testimony. What's your testimony? And then sometimes we talk about different people's testimony and we like compare and we're like, have you heard his testimony? Have you? Uh-uh. No, her testimony is powerful. No, I don't have a good testimony. Her testimony, though, is good, right? And we use all these like Christianese words and I could go on and on like testimony and 
praise and glory and gospel and all these words that we use in the context of church or when we're around churchy people. But here's what happens, okay? We get around people that maybe didn't grow up in church. Or maybe you say some, or you have some of these conversations outside of church and the people around you say this. They say, what are you talking about? Right? They hear testimony and blessed and amen, and they're like, what? Like, I know you're speaking English. I know that this is like a thing, but what on earth are you talking about? And if we could be honest, okay, just kind of an honest moment. Sometimes, even as Christians, sometimes even as those that have grown up in church and heard these words all our lives, sometimes we don't know the answer to that question. In other words, sometimes we say these words because we've heard them all the time, but we don't actually know what they mean. I'll give you an example. And this is like an everyday example. This isn't just a Christian example. Have you all heard the phrase or the word um, gentleman before? Has anyone ever heard gentleman? Yeah, Yeah, a few of you. Okay. So um, usually gentleman nowadays is used as like, you know, a way to correct someone. You know, like maybe some of you guys have heard it with your slouching. They say, sit up straight and act like a gentleman. You know, that's kind of what they say. Um, What you may not know is that that phrase, the way they're using gentlemen, has nothing to do with the actual definition of gentleman. This is the actual definition of gentleman. Gentleman is a man of noble birth who owns property. Yeah, so next time, guys, someone comes up to you and says, sit up straight and act like a gentleman, then look at him and say, then give me some land, okay? I want some property, thank you very much, if you're going to call me a gentleman, okay? But see, what happens is we use this word even though we don't actually know what it means. So the whole purpose of this series, in other words, is to answer this question, especially as it relates to Christianese. To answer the question, what do these words really mean? What are these Christianese words that we throw around all the time, what do they actually mean? And here's the reason that this is so important. Because the better your definition is of that word, the better your understanding of who God actually is. In other words, the better your view on these words, the better your view of God is. Which means if we've misdefined these words, it's possible, it's possible that we in this room have misdefined who God actually is. And so what we want to do is we want to define these words that we use all the time in hopes that we could better understand who God is and who we are. And so tonight we're actually going to start off with two words. We're just going to define two words, and then we'll move on, okay? And the first word is really the main focus. In fact, this first word that we're going to be defining, I think, is the most misunderstood word in all of Christianese, okay? It's the one that people throw around all the time, but I don't think we actually know what it means. And not only is it the most misunderstood word, I think it's the most important word in our faith. Because our entire faith revolves around our definition of what this word means actually means. So the word we're talking about tonight, salvation. Salvation. A word that I think if we were to be honest, we would go around the room and I were to ask you, what do you think salvation means? What's your definition of salvation? I think we would all have a lot of different answers to this question. In fact, just for fun, what I want to do for the next like 20 seconds, okay, you're not going to get graded. You don't have to turn anything in. There's no extra credit, okay? But I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them what you think It doesn't have to be the right answer. What do you think the word salvation actually means? Go ahead. Okay, so some of you, some of you may, 
shrug your shoulders and you don't know. Some of you might have a pretty good definition. Some of your definitions are like really, really long, okay? So here's what I want to do. I want to define this word for you. And I'm, I'm, I'm a really simple guy. I'm not that smart. So I try to condense things down into things that are easy for me to understand. And hopefully it's easy for you to understand as well. Here's my definition. I think this is one of the most powerful words as it relates to our faith. But I'm telling you, I think the definition is actually way more simple than we think it is. Here's what salvation means. <clears throat> to be saved. See, some of y'all thought I was giving out extra credit. You're like high-fiving your neighbor. You don't win anything, okay? Yeah. In fact, we put this in your notes. You can write it down. Salvation and then colon means to be saved. Salvation means to be saved. Also, the word, and this is not the second word. This is just another word that we use. The word savior literally means someone who saves. That's it. In other words, all these churchy words, all these Christianese words, salvation and savior, all revolve around this idea of to be saved. So let me give you a practical example. This is kind of a modern day example of what I mean when I say salvation, what I mean when I say saved. And we're going to borrow from like a medical example, okay? So imagine, imagine you have a friend and that friend is sick in the hospital, okay? And it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for your friend. They're in the hospital. But you find out there's a medicine you can give them, and if you give them that medicine, then it will cure them and they will be healed. Then when you give them that medicine, you are the savior, and the medicine you give them is the salvation, okay? That's what salvation means. It's the way that you save their life. So if you had a friend who was sick in a hospital, you know, hospital room, and you gave them this medicine and they got better, that medicine would be the salvation. Now, Salvation is where our whole faith kind of revolves around this idea of us needing to be saved. But for some of you, maybe some of you that didn't grow up in church or maybe you're kind of new to church, you might be wondering this question and maybe you've even asked someone this question and they didn't really have a good answer to this question. And the question is this, why do we need to be saved? I mean, if it's true that our whole faith revolves around this idea of salvation, meaning we need to be saved, then why? In fact, some of you might look at yourself and say, I'm pretty healthy. I don't really have any issues. And life's not perfect, but like, things are okay. I don't think I need to be saved. The answer to this question, why, why do we need to be saved, is actually the second word that we're going to define tonight. The answer of why we need to be saved is this, sin. The reason that we believe we need to be saved is because of sin. Now, sin is another Christianese word that we throw around all the time. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, take about 10 seconds, tell them what you think the definition of sin is. <laughs> okay. How many of you, how many of you, when you gave your definition of sin, said sin is disobedience to God? Raise your hand. Anyone? Or uh, disobey God? Okay, a few of you. There we go. How many of you said something along the lines of sin is when you do bad things, you know, it's like you regret it later, it kind of, yeah. Okay. I, those are, by the way, the traditional definitions of sin. I actually want to define sin a little differently for tonight. In fact, I think. I think this could be a definition that you've never heard before. This could be a brand new way of looking 
at sin and more specifically looking at salvation. So if you've grown up in church, this might kind of rattle some things for you. You might not be sure what that actually means. And if you haven't grown up in church, this is a great, great introduction and a great way to define why I think we need to be saved. So my definition of saved or uh, of sin is this. Sickness of our soul. Sin is the sickness of our soul. In other words, sin is like the disease. It's the cancer that we have, but it's not physical. It's spiritual. In other words, it's not about our like arm being broken. It's not about us having a cough. It's about us having a sickness, and it goes much deeper than our physical body. It's our soul. It's who we are. It's less about what we do, and it's more about who we are. And so my definition of sin, sin is a sickness of our soul. Now, just like any other sickness, just like any other disease or cancer, this sickness has a lot of symptoms that you guys are probably familiar with. Um, sin has the symptoms of selfishness, of lust, of betrayal, of lying, of cheating, stealing, adultery, okay? All these things are symptoms, but the disease, the issue, the sickness, the cancer of our soul is sin, okay? And here's the bad news. The bad news is all of us are sick. In fact, there was this guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul that I talked about earlier. He actually put it this way. He said, for all, not for some or not for like the really bad people or the really good people, but for all have sinned. In other words, we all have this sickness. We all have this disease. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, all of us are tainted. All of us have this disease. And I'll illustrate that for you, okay? One of the symptoms of sin is lying. So, let's be, be real. How many of you have ever lied before? Even a small white lie? Yeah, see, all of us. And if you, if you aren't raising your hand, then you're lying right now, which means you're really sick, okay? So all of us in this room, all of us in this room have sinned. All of us have messed up. All of us have evidence that we have this sickness and this sin. And so the problem is all of us have this sin, and the problem unfortunately gets worse. Because this sickness that we have, this disease that we have is terminal. Meaning, it doesn't look good for us. Meaning, it ends in death. In fact, later on in his letter, that guy Paul put it this way. He said, for the wages or the consequence or the natural result of sin is death. Meaning, if you let this disease of sin run its course in you, it will end in death. And not just physical death. It will end in spiritual death. It'll end in relational death. And some of you have seen this happen before too because maybe you've made a mistake that you would call sin and it ended up breaking up a friendship or maybe breaking up you and your girlfriend or you and your boyfriend or you and your best friend or you and your ex-best friend and you saw this fallout happen. You saw this relational death happen because of sin. See, because all of us have this disease and unfortunately it's terminal, which means it ends in death. Now, now, um, for some of you, you might be hearing this and you're like, way to be super encouraging. Steve, you just told us we all have this, you know, disease, this cancer of our soul. And now you're telling us it's going to end in death. And so maybe for you, you're getting a little uncomfortable in your seat and you're asking this question. You're saying, well, then what can we do? Surely there's got to be something we can do to get rid of this disease. And the answer of what you can do is <clears throat> nothing. 
That's kind of the worst part. The worst part is you've got a disease. Everyone in this room has it. A disease of your soul, and it ends in death. And unfortunately, there's nothing you can do about it. Not even trying to do good things. That guy, Paul, put it this way. He said, you need to know this. This is so huge. A person is not justified or saved. You're not saved by the works of the law. In other words, in other words, and this is actually in your notes, doing good, just doing a bunch of good things, doing good or being good is not good enough. Simply trying to be good and help people and go to church, that's not good enough. In fact, it's like this. Imagine that you had been diagnosed with a disease. Imagine it's cancer. And your friend comes up to you and says, I know what you can do. What if, what if you started lifting weights? I think if you lift weights, then you'll get healthier. And they're actually right. If you lift weights, you'll be a little healthier. And maybe it'll extend your life a day or a few weeks or maybe even a few months. But lifting weights doesn't address the disease. It doesn't address the issue. It might only address the symptoms. Which means when you're just trying to be good and trying to do good things and I need to go to church more and I need to clean up my act, all that stuff is just treating the symptoms, but it's not treating the disease. And so, so if it's true, if it's true that all of us in this room have this disease of our soul, and this disease will inevitably end in death, and there's nothing we can do about it, then what can be done? What can be done? And the answer is Jesus. This is the reason we make such a big deal of Jesus. Because Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. In fact, there's a really famous verse of Scripture. You've probably heard it. Or if you, you know, have ever gone to a football game, you've seen people right outside the stadium with this big sandwich board sign. And maybe if you were, you know, grew up in church when you were younger, you even memorized this verse. And it's John 3.16. John 3.16 says this. It says, For God so loved the world, he so loved you and me, that he gave his only son. And then the next verse tells us why God gave his son. He gave his son to save. Because we needed saving. Because we had a disease that couldn't be treated by just doing a bunch of good stuff. We needed to be saved. In other words, we needed salvation. And Jesus was the Savior. And so Jesus came to this earth. And he lived a perfect life. In fact, Jesus didn't have the disease that we have. Jesus didn't have this sin. And so he didn't have the symptoms either. He didn't have selfishness. He didn't lie or cheat or steal. In fact, more than that, he, he loved people. He cared for people. He healed people. He tried to make a way for people. He wanted everyone to be loved and know that they are loved by God. And in return... The people of that day actually tried Jesus for a crime he didn't commit. And when Jesus was around my age, they actually sentenced him to die. And the way they wanted him to die was crucifixion, which was one of the most painful ways to die 2,000 years ago. It was a form of torture where they not only caused you a bunch of pain, but then they dragged out the pain until finally you would breathe your last. But Jesus didn't just happen to die. 
See, Jesus chose to die because what we needed for our disease, what, what, what we needed for our sickness of our soul, we needed clean blood. Because see, our blood has been tainted by sin, and we needed someone who hadn't sinned, who had none of this disease, to give us like a blood transfusion. And so Jesus died on the cross, spilt his blood on purpose, and the reason he did this was because he loved you. The reason he did this was because he wanted you to be saved, because he knew that doing a bunch of good stuff is not going to be good enough. That you had a disease of your soul and the only way that this could be fixed, the only way this could be solved, the only solution to our dilemma was Jesus. And so, Jesus suffered. And he bled. And he died. And Jesus suffered so we could be saved. The reason Jesus laid down his life was because he knew it was the only way to heal the disease that we couldn't heal on our own. In fact, I read a verse to you earlier, Romans 6.23, but I only read the beginning of that verse. See, the beginning says that, that the wages of sin, the consequence of sin is death, but I want to show you the rest of the verse. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift in other words, but there's more. But you don't have to die spiritually. But you don't have to die relationally. Because, because the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who saves us because we needed saving. And a lot of times we as Christians kind of get this definition of salvation mixed up. Because we begin to understand that Jesus saved us from death. And maybe if you're in this room tonight, maybe you're like tracking along with that. And you're like, I agree with that. I agree that Jesus died so that I could be saved. I agree that Jesus suffered so that I could be saved. And the reason Jesus spilt his blood was because I needed that saving. But what this verse talks about is that we were saved from death. But we were saved to life. And that's the full definition of salvation. In other words, Jesus saved you so that you could live. And there's some of you in the room that if you could be honest with me, to use that analogy of having the sickness and being in the hospital, you accepted Jesus as your savior, you accepted the blood transplant, but ever since then you've been hanging out in the hospital and you haven't gotten out of bed. Meaning even though you've been saved from death, you haven't actually gone to life. And instead of living your life for Jesus, instead of having a transformed life, you've decided to stay exactly where you were before you asked Jesus to save you. And so Paul told us what it should look like when we are saved. Paul gave us the full definition of salvation when he said this. He said, if, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning if you've gotten the blood transfusion, meaning if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, meaning if you've asked Jesus to save you, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. That means you look different. That means your life is different because you got a new set of blood running through you. And it's not your old life anymore. It's your new life in Christ. He says, the old has gone, the new 
is here. Meaning you don't have to repeat the mistakes of your past. Meaning you don't have to repeat the mistakes of your parents. Meaning you don't have to stay in the hospital bed. Because Jesus has saved you. And so I think if we were to be honest in this room, I think there's, I think there's two groups of people. I think there's some of you in the room that you would say, man, there was a moment, maybe it was a month ago at our back-to-school bash. Maybe it was a few years ago or a few months ago where you asked Jesus to save you. But if you were to be honest with me, you'd say, you know, Steve, my life doesn't really look that much different. I'm still in the hospital bed. I'm still hanging out, living like I still have that disease of sin. And so for you, I would... I would want you to ask this question. Now that I've been saved, and maybe it was a month ago, maybe it was a year ago, but now that I've been saved, how should my life look different? Now that I've been saved, how should my life look different? In other words, what relationships need to change? What attitudes need to change? What habits need to change? And I know this, no one goes from being terminally ill to walking around skipping in the streets in a day. It takes time. But if for you it was a year ago or two years ago and your life doesn't look any different, maybe it's the time you had an honest conversation with God. And maybe today would be the day that you would say, I've already asked Jesus to save me. I've already got the blood transfusion. I'm already saved from spiritual death, but my life doesn't look any different, and I want that to change today. See, because when I was 12 years old, I asked Jesus to save me. And I wasn't changed overnight. I still had a lot of habits that kind of carried on even after I accepted Jesus as my Savior. But if you fast forward a year, my life began to look different. And then if you were to fast forward the next year, my life looks a little bit different. And God is changing me and Jesus is changing me. And I have a growing relationship with Jesus. And that started changing my life until today. See, because when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You got new blood running through your veins. Because you've been healed from the disease of sin. And some of the symptoms might still persist, but the disease is gone, thank goodness, because of Jesus. And that's how you were saved. Now, I know this. I know that in a room this size, a lot of you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, but there's probably some of you in the room. Maybe it's your first time here. Maybe you just started coming a few weeks ago. And if you were to be honest with me, you would say, Steve, I, I actually have never accepted Jesus as my Savior. I've never actually asked God to save me. Maybe you would say, I didn't really know that I needed to be saved. But as you look around at your life, as you look at the consequence of sin and how it's ruining relationships, not just with other people, but also with God, bringing spiritual death, you would say, I need to be saved. And so the question for you is this, will you, those of you that haven't done this yet, will you ask Jesus to save you? And so right now, I actually want to give you an opportunity to do just that. 
And so just right where you're at, no one's going to be looking around. I just want you to bow your head, close your eyes. And if you fell into that first group of people and you would say, you know, Steve, just to be honest, I have accepted Jesus as my Savior. I did. I remember it. It was at a back-to-school bash or it was at like a Christmas bash or it was at another church. And I made the decision to trust Jesus as my Savior. But to be honest, my life doesn't look any different. It's like I'm still hanging out in the hospital even though I've been healed. And my habits haven't changed and my friends haven't changed and nothing in my life has changed. And if today is the day that you would say, I've already trusted Jesus as my Savior, but I want today to be the day that I have a new life in Christ. If that's you, and you'd say, I've already accepted Jesus, but I want that new life, would you just look up at me right now? No one's going to be looking around. Awesome. Awesome. I'm proud of you. In just a minute, if you're looking up at me, in just a minute, I'm going to actually ask you to respond by actually coming forward. Because I think it matters that not only your soul and your spirit moves, but also your body moves as well. As you say, I want today to be different. I want my life to look different. You can go ahead and bow your head. And now for those of you in the room that would say, you know what, I'm new to this whole God thing. I'm new to this whole Jesus thing. I never really knew that I needed to be saved. If you would say today is the day that I realize that I need Jesus and I need to be saved and I've never asked Jesus to save me. If that's you, would you just look up at me right now? Just look up right here. If you're looking up at me right now or you know this is the decision that you want to make to ask Jesus to save you, I want to actually lead you in a prayer. And so you can say these words silently right after I say them. God, I have sinned. And I've messed up. But I believe that you sent your son to die for me so that I could be healed and so that I could be forgiven. Would you save me? I commit my life to you. Amen. And now just where you're at, you can look up at me. In just a moment, we're actually going to have a chance to respond. And if you fell into either of those two groups, I want you to come forward. And there's going to be a card and some pens on the table. And I want you to just fill out your name, school, phone number. And then right at the bottom, it says, my response to God. And the first one says, I've received Christ for the first time. If you fell into that second group of people and you said, tonight was the night for the first time that I've ever said, God, I want you to save me. Jesus, I need you to save me. Then I want you to just check that box right there. But if you fell into that first group where you said, I've already trusted Jesus as my Savior, but my life doesn't look any different. And today, starting today, I want to lean into the new life that God has for me. I want you to check that box that says, rededicate my life. And so what I want to do now is I want to pray for you as you begin to respond to the offer of God. So let me pray. So God, 
God, I'm so grateful for the fact that you have saved me. And I'm so grateful for the life change that you have brought to these students. Man, I can't believe that, God, you are continuing to change their lives because of how much you love them. I pray that today would not be a normal H12 day. I pray that it would be a day for many who come to you for the first time and for others who say, I've already come to Jesus, but it's time that God starts changing my life because I don't want to live in a hospital bed anymore. I want to have the new life in Christ. God, I pray that you would give boldness to these students. Not just now, not just today, but for the rest of their lives. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name.